Hello, and thanks for joining us. This is Christina Cardoza, news editor of SC Times. With me, we have David Rubenstein, editor-in-chief of SC Times, and Derek Weeks, the co-founder of All Day DevOps and vice president of Sonotype. And we're back here at the DevOps Summit in Las Vegas with What the DevOps. So, how are you doing today, Derek? I'm doing great. Really good to be here. Thanks for joining us. I know um, you have a talk coming up. Is it tomorrow? Uh, It's Wednesday. Wednesday about, um, you know, it was something you did 54,000 interviews about cyber security hygiene practices. So for people who can't make the talk or who can't make the conference, what can you tell us about the talk or what you've learned? Yeah, I I think at a high level that the talk is really uh, themed around DevSecOps practices. Uh, and, And part of what you know, for the past years that DevSecOps has really been growing up as a term or as a, you know, part of the culture that DevOps really has, it, it was really focused on, you know, w- w- what are we doing to review the code uh, that developers are building? What are we doing to bring security teams into the DevOps teams and have, you know, security and developers sit side by side, et cetera? But it's kind of on the you know, once the developer has built the application or as the developer is building their application, how do we assess things? And we actually, so uh, myself, uh, Dr. Stephen McGill, who I'm presenting with this week, uh, Gene Kim, uh, Bruce Mayhew, Ghazi Muhammad on the Sonotype team, and a host of other data researchers and security researchers set out to do about a year ago was really examine uh, a, a part earlier in the development life cycle, and that is to look at open source components that were being used in software development practices. Mm -hmm. And we've known and reported for years on the state of the software supply chain report that I I champion this effort each year to put out the report now in its fifth year. Um, But we've talked about, you know, 10% of the open source components downloaded by developers have known security vulnerabilities and so forth. But what, you know, in looking at this from another angle, we wanted to look at it from an earlier aspect in, in development, and that is software developers are relying on open source components. And as a result, the average organization, average enterprise development teams are going after uh, and utilizing 3,500 different open source projects on average. If you're going to use these external software development communities, 3,500 external suppliers to provide you code that you didn't want to write yourself, then how do you evaluate the quality of that code? And for the most part, historically, the quality of that code has been assessed in two ways. Either it's a really popular open source project, so all my friends are using it, or I started using this five years ago and it works. And I've used it ever since, and I know that it works, and I always rely on it. In fact, I might even rely on the same version that I've been using because I know that it works. Uh, But there's really only those two criteria. I'm just familiar with it or it's quite popular. So we went through and actually assessed open source projects with a lot of different, looking at a lot of different attributes. Um, One is how frequently were they releasing? How frequently were they updating their dependencies? Were they using continuous integration practices? How many developers were in the team? Were they remediating security vulnerabilities quickly when when they came up? And a host of other attributes. And what we found within this 
uh, part of the research analyzing 36,000 different open source projects over a five-year period was that there were certain attributes coming out um, within the, the code, some of which kind of validated our hypotheses in the research and some of which we invalidated through the data that we got um, in the research. Hmm. Now, were you looking at uh, large uh, enterprise uh, projects like uh, a Spark or something as opposed right. to, uh, you know, just something that a couple of guys uh, had written but uh, very effective or yeah, ran so the gamut? It's a good question. We looked at everything that really ran the gamut. So we had anything from open source projects with one developer uh, on them that showed exemplary behavior to uh, foundation-supported large open source projects that had you know, 10 or more developers within the community, sometimes even hundreds right. uh, within the community contributing on a regular basis right. uh, to get these, these attributes. Yeah. And some of the interesting things that, that we found in the research were that um, one, we figured, we started off with these simple hypotheses. If you're an open source project that has a security vulnerability that's been discovered publicly in the project, you would actually fix that quickly as an open source project. Um, we found out that that wasn't always the case, that the average time to repair a vulnerability was 180 days for these open source, uh, for these open source projects. Sorry, that was the median time. The, the uh, mean time or the average time was 326 days. Um, so they weren't always repairing these, these vulnerabilities fast, but in looking at that particular attribute, not all open source projects have known security vulnerabilities. So you can't just say, are they good at fixing vulnerabilities if they've never had one, that's not an attribute. So then we looked at, um, if do these open source projects update and frequently release new versions of the components uh, and update the dependencies in those. But what what we found when we looked at the data was that um, open source projects that were updating frequently were also remediating security vulnerabilities frequent, frequently at almost the same rate. So those that were good at updating fast were also remediating vulnerabilities fast. So from a, an overall concept of how do you pick the best suppliers, external suppliers of code to work with, one of the things that we validated was that if you look at open source projects releasing frequently, they're better suppliers than those that release occasionally, once every six months, once every year, uh, and so forth. Um, we also found on the, the, uh, the contrary side is the, you know, this concept that um, you know, the, the most popular components are the best ones. Uh, so we found uh, with it, when we looked at the popularity of components by download counts, um, not all of the most popular projects updated frequently. Hmm. So if you have a very popular project that is updating frequently and therefore consequently remediating security vulnerabilities, you have a better supplier. But we had many suppliers or, or projects that were not updating frequently, therefore not fixing vulnerabilities as you know another attribute, and therefore they weren't safe suppliers to work with. So if you just went on popularity as the only attribute, you're not making great decisions all the time sure. for the code that you are working on. But this really plays into like, if you go back to DevSecOps, why does it matter in DevSecOps? Well, we're trying to deliver 
the highest quality code fastest to our customers to deliver better, uh, better outcomes and higher quality product to the customers. Well, if you're not paying attention to what 80% of your code is that you know, you're pushing through with using these external open source projects, then you're not delivering the highest code uh, highest code quality possible. Right. So we were trying to figure out from the beginning and from the origins of your application development, you've chosen not to write 85% of your application, right? If you've chosen not to write it, how do you know that that 85% is the best quality stuff out there? Well, it and sounds was, to me like just the problem that you had in asking these questions to get the right data are the problems yeah. that these people have in implementing that software and then that, trying to determine where the vulnerabilities are. And a- how to ab- absolutely. So today, there's really, there's only two ways to, to do it as a developer. Is it popular or have I used it for a while? Right. Without going through and researching and finding, discovering these attributes, which we did, right. you don't have an option to choose components in a different way. Right. Now that the attributes are better, better known and defined within the software supply chain report, you can begin to apply those attributes to your choices. Now in manually, right, in DevSecOps practices, I think years from now, uh, we will look, and maybe not years, but uh, you know, in the future, we will look at, we can automate these criteria in our code selection. So if you say, I wanna go out and use supplier A, open source project, you know, uh, JSON or jQuery or Log4J, does it meet these criteria? Can a machine tell me that it meets these criteria? If a machine can tell me once I pick it that this meets the, the right criteria and it's safe, then let's go on and move it, if, uh, use it. If it doesn't meet the criteria, right? then maybe is there an alternative project or supplier that I can work with? So once you know the attributes, you can begin to automate based upon those attributes, right? And that's really where the DevSecOps play comes in. Right, because people use open source to save time of not having to write code that's already written. Absolutely. And now they don't want to have to use that time, you know, trying to determine... Yeah, uh, no one wants to spend four hours evaluating every, you know, component of the thousands that they're using, like, is this good or bad, Right. right? But if you can figure out the attributes of good or bad and then program machines to identify that good or bad for the developers. The right. developers can make quick decisions on, I need external code, I'm picking the best code from the best suppliers and I'm putting it into my application so it's the best application. Right. Right. If you can do that really quick, which DevSecOps practices enable, we're gonna have better code quality as a result. So it's pretty exciting stuff once you, yeah, you know. Yeah, no, that's interesting. So as you've been looking um, you know, at this over the last couple of years, how has the problem evolved or changed? Is it getting better at all? Yeah, uh, it's a great question, right? So we do an annual DevSecOps community survey. And in that survey, the last three years, we've asked developers, is security important? And do you have enough time to spend on it? And year after year, for the last three years, 50% of the developers say, I know it's important, but I don't have time to spend on it, right? So that has remained constant. I don't have any more time. But the, the thing that I'm seeing out there, and this is just really anecdotally of the conversations that I'm having, I, I'm sitting in a, uh, well, I'm standing in a presentation uh, in Washington, D.C. a couple of months ago, and I'm giving a presentation on security and DevSecOps. And one of the guys in the room that's a developer says, I just got an alert from GitHub 
that I have security vulnerabilities in the code that I just checked in. So he's a developer using a developer tool, getting security information from his developer tool and able to take action on this. A security professional wasn't involved in that, that effort, right? In that understanding that his code could be improved by remediating this, this vulnerability. I had another friend, he's working on a Go application a couple of weeks ago. He's like, I checked it into GitHub, and all of a sudden, like two minutes later, I got an alert that said, this code that I just checked in has vulnerabilities. Again, the development tools are getting smarter to tell the developers, hey, you have code quality issues, security issues in, the, in this particular instance, or these instances, and therefore I can take action. So they have no more time to spend on it, but if their tools are getting smarter about informing them of the issues, then they can resolve the issues and still not spend any more time. Right. Right? They don't have to wait a couple of weeks for some security person to review it down the pipe. Right. And then, you know, come back with rework later. It's just, no, my tool told me there was an issue. Just like Word tells me a word is spelled wrong that I typed out and I can correct it right there. And the tool's making me a smarter writer. Uh, or a more accurate writer, and this is working in development's favor as well. So I do see that dynamic changing mm -hmm. uh, w within the environments kind of before our eyes and without someone saying, oh, this is strange. I just got a security alert from you know, my development tool. Like No one's like, oh my gosh, this is really crazy that that just happened. They're like, of course it happened. I'm just trying to improve the quality of my code. It's like this natural behavior that's just happening and no one's really noticing, but everyone's benefiting from, right, right in that community. Great, and we mentioned in the beginning, um, you're the co-founder of All Day DevOps, which is gonna be taking place next week, right? Yeah, November so, 6th. Is there gonna be more um, you know, conversations that day around DevSecOps, around you know the open source supply chain? What can yeah. people expect? So we have, uh, All Day DevOps covers a lot of different DevOps topics. So we have tracks on SRE and continuous delivery. We have a DevSecOps track, cultural transformation, um, and cloud native infrastructure are the, the different tracks. Uh, in DevSecOps alone, we have 44 presentations that are given uh, over the 24 hours online that, that we're doing the conference. So a lot of conversations is probably the most popular conversation topic for DevSecOps, but it's, you know, it's not vendors coming on and pitching like, hey, I've got a solution. Uh, it, it's really the practitioner saying, this is, we had a problem. This is how we approached it. This is, you know, what we've done so far, this is what we're trying to do moving forward, and to hear those stories, and not only hear them, but be in the Slack channel communicating with everyone, sharing information about, like, how did you do that? Is that code on GitHub somewhere? Can you share that? Right, and that kind of very, very collaborative learning environment, and uh, we just passed 25,000 registrations this morning, uh, and so we'll be, by the time of the conference, we'll be somewhere over 30,000, who knows? There's uh, there's a yeah. lot of people globally participating in this in, uh, in our fourth year. Yeah, that's amazing. That's uh, the one thing that I noticed uh, from past events is that people are actually gathering in cities all around the world to watch together mm -hmm. and talk about it among themselves as the sessions are going on. Yeah, I think we, uh, I believe at last count, we have something like 170 viewing parties set up around the world in different companies. Wow, pretty cool. Uh, but the cool thing about this, and, and it's kind of interesting that it doesn't happen more if you think about 
the human dynamic of this is I tell people, like you could register yourself as an individual, but register your team, watch together in a conference room and talk about it. Like you don't come to DevOps Enterprise Summit here with a couple other people from your company, sit in separate sessions and never talk about the session that you are at right. together, right? No, you right. go into like, you sit in the same session, you listen to the presenter, you go to lunch or the coffee break afterwards, and you're like, hey, are we doing that? Should we be doing that? Could we learn from that? Should right. we talk to that person? Like, you're having this conversation. So, like, why would you go to All Day DevOps as this online conference and participate alone and not talk to anyone about it? it makes no mm-hmm. sense. Right? Like, watch as a team, reserve the conference rooms, do more of this. So, there's probably more, more of that happening than have registered as viewing parties. Uh, but it's a, it's a really interesting dynamic to have teams learn together and to do it at a, a, a what is a massive scale that we're, uh, we're seeing with the conference. Great. Well, thanks, Derek. I think that's all the time we're going to have today. But thanks for joining us. Again, this is Christina and Dave. And this is our takeover of what the DevOps 